If you have a Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 6. We, uh, last week, we started this series of teaching about how to overcome sin. And you'll remember I said that that is not some kind of negative message. And you don't need to fear a bunch of condemnation. Uh, the, the Christian strategy to get out of sin is not, hey, sinner, quit sinning. That doesn't really help people very much, so that's not what we're going to be saying. Uh, and also, we pointed out that the word sin in the Greek is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. It means to live at a level that's less than what God created and called us to be at and live at. Therefore, to overcome sin, we're really talking about overcoming various problems that we might have. If you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with fear, weight loss, struggle with any kind of uh, ongoing issue, these principles can help you. Is that all right? Everybody say, everything in life, everything in life. is a process. So we're going to have grace with ourselves, right, during, during the process. I made the point last week that the first principle you need to understand in order to walk free from sin and to overcome sin is to understand that your old man really is dead. Your sin nature is dead. I wanted to explain that further today because I think I may have raised some questions last week, and hopefully I can address some of those. Uh, we didn't get the message recorded, but I did reteach it over Facebook Live, and so you can go back and listen to that. When I do that Facebook Live, it, it cuts out sometimes for some reason, which is strange, but you can get most of it on there. All right, Romans 6, verse 1 through 3. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't you know that as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? The remarkable thing about that verse of Scripture is it tells you you can be baptized into Christ's death, you can be dead to sin and not know it. Because it says, didn't anybody tell you? Which means that apparently there were people... I was one of these people, <laughs> that your sin nature was dead and nobody bothered to tell you. And that's a problem. That's why we try to stress that here. I made the point last week that I believe that when the Bible says your old man is dead, the reason it doesn't spe specify what part of you that's referring to is that the old man affected your whole being, spirit, soul, and body. And when he was cut away, the influence on your spirit, soul, and body was likewise cut away. And it's no longer your nature to sin. It's no longer your nature to live in failure. It's no longer your nature to live in fear. It's not your nature to uh, struggle with, with sickness or whatever. It's you have been redeemed. I'll answer the question in a little bit, why then do we still have wrong desires? But I want to point out, the reason I stress all this is that we're trying to avoid this heresy called dualism. Everybody say dualism. dualism. Dualism is one of the ancient isms about how the world was created, or at least how the world existed back in the day. There's 
dualism, there's deism, there's pantheism, there's panentheism. There's a whole lot of isms. And there's only one that Christianity believes, which is theistic creationism. Now, it's not necessary for you to know all those isms, but I do want you to understand what dualism is because we want to avoid it. Dualism is the belief that existed in pagan cultures and still exists that eternally there has been the spirit realm and the physical realm. There wasn't, there wasn't a day when that didn't exist. It, it's always existed, and the spirit realm is good, and the physical realm is evil. And these two things are at war with one another perpetually. In certain belief systems, those are pictured just like sort of inert forces. In other belief systems, other dualistic systems, they're actually two gods. There's a good god and a bad god, a, a spirit god and a physical god, and they're at war with one another. If you're not clear about this, you might be confused and you might think, well, that sounds like Christianity. There's God and the devil, but that's not how it is. God is not in a perpetual war with the devil. The devil is a created being. Uh, he's, he's the opposite of Michael, the archangel, or somebody like that, not, not God. Moreover, God is not in a perpetual war with the devil. Humanity is in a temporary war with the devil, and the decisive battle was won 2,000 years ago, and now we're in the process of, of playing out that victory. You say, well, pastor, why does, any of that, why does any of that matter? Well, for one thing, Christianity says that, that uh, we believe in creatio ex nihilo, or nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. That's a fancy Latin phrase. Uh, if you go and study science, they'll tell you that there was a point when the universe didn't exist, right? And that's what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That means it didn't always exist. Dualism is, is not Christian. Um, moreover, in Christianity, in Genesis 1, God says, I created the heavens and the earth, and what's he say about it? It's good, right? It's good. Is the physical realm evil? It's not. Is your body evil? Is steak evil? Thank God. Is there evil in the world? Yes. But the world was created good and it was corrupted by sin. The physical world is good, but it still retains much of its beauty. Dualism, it's interesting, it affects not only the past, but the future. Dualism, since it sees good and evil eternally in a battle with one another, it has no hope that one day evil will be conquered. Is that true of Christianity? No, we believe that one day the devil and all of his minions are going to be relegated to the ash heap of history. Hallelujah. We're going to win. How many of you have read the end of the book? It's not a continual battle. There is an end point. Evil will be thoroughly defeated. How you view the future affects how you live in the present. I believe that evil can be defeated. Sin can be defeated. Cancer can be defeated. Fear can be defeated. 
And what's more, all of Christianity actually agrees with that. The debate isn't whether it's going to happen, it's when. And some people say, well, it's not going to happen until way later. Well, if we're going to win in the end, let's, let's try to win some now. Is that all right? Let's just try to win as much as we can right now. Let's try to get as much victory and as much life as we can down here right now. In order to not be a dualist about yourself, you, you've got to realize you don't have two natures. You don't have a spirit that's good and a physical body that's evil. Your physical body has been hindered and hurt by sin. That's why we're all dying. Nobody gets out of this life alive, somebody said. Unless Jesus comes back. But the overarching corrupting influence that forces you and pushes you towards sin, if you're a Christian, I believe that's been cut away. Now, that's confusing. Are you saying, Pastor, that we're, that we're already fully redeemed? Well, obviously not. You know, there's two parts to your redemption, right? Jesus died and then he was resurrected. I believe the death part is fully accomplished. Your old man is fully dead. But we appear to still be in the process of fully actualizing our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says that one day we'll get a resurrected body. It's evident I don't have that yet. If I did, I'd have more hair. <laughs> Additionally, I don't, I don't have a, you know, a fully renewed mind yet. But it's getting better. Yeah. It's getting better. Everybody say this with me. I'm thinking better, I'm thinking better. now than I used to. When you think better, what you're doing is you're, you're tapping into the resurrected potential that already exists. Ephesians 4.24 says that you're to put on the new man like a suit of clothes, which after God was recreated in righteousness and true holiness. The real me is righteous and truly holy. That's my real identity. And what you find is as you put that on, you know, at first you might think, well, those old ratty clothes fit better. But no, no, they don't. I'm wearing my white suit on. My, you know, I, I, got, I got clean clothes in the name of Jesus. I've been made holy. And that's my true identity. Doesn't mean I don't mess up sometimes or something doesn't go wrong, but I'm, I'm, I'm not staying there because that's not who I really am. If you believe that you're still a sinner, when sin presents itself, you're going to hop on it because that's your nature. If you believe that fundamentally you've been changed and it's not your nature anymore, you'll resist sin. The old man is totally dead, but we're still in the process of putting on the new man. Now, the new man's fully resurrected. Now... There's a question, well, how's all that applying to spirit, soul, and body? I, I, think that, I think that the Lord doesn't want us to be overly dogmatic about putting all that stuff in boxes. Yeah. I think that's why he describes it as man and old man and all this. And, and there's a, t a tendency in the church to want to systematize stuff that the Bible does not systematize. And it's better to just live in a little bit of mystery than try to force something on something that's not really there. Uh, a simple example, I, when I was growing up, somebody said, well, that there's nine fruit of the Spirit and nine gifts of the Spirit. Well, I've already told you that there's more nine than nine gifts of the Spirit. But, but anyway, let's just say for the sake of argument that there's nine and nine, 
which is nicer because it fits into a box. And then somebody said, well, the bap- you know, being born again, that, that gives you access to the fruit of the Spirit. And then being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that gives you access to the gifts of the Spirit. Well, that sounds really nice, and it fits all the boxes. The trouble is, none of that, that's not true. <laughs> and you can't actually find that in the Scripture. It's just a system we created to help us understand stuff. All right, so anyway, I'm not against systematic theology, but you can overdo it. The question then is, why do I still have wrong desires? Well, Pastor, if I really am a new person, then why do I still sometimes struggle with temptation or want to do the wrong thing? You know, why does, if my body's redeemed, why does it want to eat that jelly donut? Because I don't want to eat it. Why do I... Hallelujah. It's okay to laugh in church. All right. Some of, some of us have to practice because we're out of practice. Everybody say, ha, ha. Ha, ha. What? <laughs> Why do I still have wrong desires? Uh, well, here's, here's the crazy thing. You might have some wrong desires because you believe you still have them. What do you mean by that? Well, let's say, let's say you, you struggle with, uh, I don't know, let's say you struggle with anxiety, all right? You, you might be believing a lie that you struggle with anxiety. Is that too simple? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, say, let's say you struggle, you know, let's say you're a guy. And, well, no, l- women can struggle with this. Let's say you struggle with lust. Well, you might, you might be believing a lie that you haven't been redeemed from that. Okay, so what do you want to do? You want to stop believing that you are blank type of person. So put your problem in the blank. I'm not the type of person that wants to eat a jelly donut every morning. Who can say that? You can say that. Believe God. Often just that by itself is enough to find freedom. So we're not the kind of people that find sin attractive. We're not the kind of people who struggle with anxiety, insecurity, fear, depression, anger, etc. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not talking about living in denial. Everybody with me? Yeah. D- denial is not, is not faith. So I can acknowledge that I'm currently dealing with some sort of problem. But at the same time I acknowledge that, I use the holy but. Remember, we've talked about the holy but. And the holy but says, I have this problem, but this is who I really am. I may be struggling with depression right now, but I'm really a joyful person. I've been made new in Christ. Why else would we have a wrong desire? Well, or a problem, an ongoing problem. Secondly, we often have wrong patterns of thought that take us to wrong places. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In Hebrews eleven fifteen, it says, talking about Abraham and his family, it says that if they would have been mindful of the country that they came out of, they would have had opportunity to return. 
If you don't think about certain things, you can't be tempted with them. Because you've got to go there in your brain before you ever go there physically. And if you think about stuff you've come out of, you can have opportunity to go back there. And I've seen this personally in my own life. There's an op- it creates an opportunity. So what do you got to do? You got to steward your thought life and control your thought life and don't, don't go back there. And you can. I have to tell myself this. Because, you know, I, I'm not going to confess. So I'm a good meditator, which means that I, have a, I, have a, I can think about stuff really good. Anybody else a good meditator? Okay, what that also might mean is that you have a tendency to worry. Because the same part of you that meditates is also capable of worrying. So I have to confess that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a worrier, I'm a good meditator. So, but, but I'm working on it, and I'm, I'm learning how to not stress out about stuff. Hallelujah. And, and, but I've got to steward my thought life, and I've got to control myself, and I've got to say, let's say this with me. I can control what I think about. We can. It's not always easy, but you can, you can do it because we're powerful people in, in Jesus, and we'll talk about that next week. But neural pathways are like well-worn highways in your brain. Changing them is what renewing the mind is about. We'll talk about that more later in another message. Okay, so... One and two are kind of the same thing. It's just, it's just we believe lies or we think wrong. And then let her see, though, sometimes there are actual demonic attacks that will come against you. Demons are real. They don't like you. And they want to try to trick you into believing that you're still the old person. And they'll come and they'll mimic the sin nature. And what will happen is you'll feel like a, a, a strong impulse towards, towards some kind of problem or towards some kind of wrong way of thinking or acting or whatever. And uh, it'll, it'll feel like something you've struggled with in the past. And if you're not careful, you'll start to believe, wow, I guess maybe I'm not really free from this. I guess I, I thought I was free, but I guess not. On the back, these attacks seem to come at emotional low points because the devil is a jerk and he doesn't care whether or not you're tired. Nehemiah 6.10 says, the joy of the Lord is what? Yeah, so when you're low, when you're not not having joy, that means you're probably emotional, you know, you might be in some weakness and the devil might try to come and, and lie to you. Well, what do you do about that? John 8.32 says that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you know that it's not you and it's the devil, a lot of times that'll be enough to end the, end the attack if you just realize it. Yeah. God, God taught me this. I had to be reminded of it this week, but um, I was one time, I've told this story before, I was, Ma and I were doing this outreach in this mall and so I was witnessing to this guy, and I was loving on him in the name of Jesus. And then, and you know, it was great. And then there was a Christian guy over here that afterwards he pulled me aside and started to read me the riot act because I wasn't condemning enough to the to the sinner over here. And so then, so then me and this Christian guy are arguing about you know how to reach his coworker, 
And, and it was, you know, it was getting kind of ugly and he was sticking his finger in my chest, you know, and yelling at me and stuff. And then, and then he, and I quoted some scripture about how the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And it's, you know, God loves people and he's not mad at people and, and, and whatever. And, and so then the guy said, well, if you know so much about the Bible, what's Proverbs 11, 1 say? And so then I quoted it and that made him really mad. <laughs> which I'm not sure was the right thing to do, but it felt good <laughs> in the moment. And, and so anyway, but after that, it was kind of an intense account. You ever feel like I walk out of a conversation, you feel kind of slimed? And after that, I just didn't feel very good. And we were out walking the dog later. And I was hearing in my head my conversation with this guy. You ever had that before? And it's like it's on repeat, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking, was he right? Was I right? Was he right? Was I right? I had a good point, but he had a good point. And I'm, we both quoted Scripture, you know, and it's stressful. I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, why can't I let this go? It is, it's dominating my thought life. I can't, I can't shut it off. And I'm walking, and I heard God say, it's not you. You're listening to a couple demons argue with one another. And that's what the religious spirit does. It loves to argue. It actually doesn't care what side of an issue you're on as long as you're engaged in the argument and not furthering the kingdom. Here's the cool thing about it, though. When I realized that, it stopped. I didn't have to rebuke anything. Now you can rebuke stuff. I mean, I'm all for that. But the truth will set you free. Sometimes, sometimes there's just the demonic attack. And if you'll just realize this pressure to think the wrong way or to move into fear or whatever, it's just, it's just a little minion trying to bother me. And it's not a big deal. All right. And just don't just, just say, oh, shut up, devil. All right. <laughs> Okay, letter three. How do I tell if I'm believing a lie, that is, have a wrong way of thinking, or I'm under a demonic assault? Because a lot of times we think we're under a demonic assault, and James 1 says we're just being led away of our own lust and enticed. A lot of times people end up blaming the devil for stuff that basically we did. So I'm not trying to give you an excuse, but one thing to do is just ask Jesus. It's a good question, right? So you're struggling. Jesus, why am I struggling right now? Is it my thinking or is it the devil messing with me? How many of you can ask Jesus that question? Yeah, so you can. And then, and then just trust that he'll, he'll show you. But I will give you this piece of advice. Typically, lies are what empower demonic assaults anyway. And the demonic is kind of like a disease that corrupts a wound, makes the thing worse. Dealing with the wound, then, is always the most important thing. If you can get rid of the lies, a lot of times the demonic thing will stop. However, it's also possible that you could have repented of and dealt with any lies. And, and you know, I've seen this personally before, too, that sometimes it's just like, I, I've, I've dealt with that issue. I've been healed of that. God's fixed something in me. And, and, and it's like the devil just comes and, and fights me. So then you've just got to just stand and tell it to stop and just leave you alone. That okay with everybody? Yes. All right. The key then, point number one to how to overcome sin, is I want to see myself as a new person. That's a great 
statement, pastor, but how do I actually do it? Remember, we try to preach how-to messages, not just ought to. How do I see myself as a new person? It's great to have me or somebody else tell you that you're a new person, but you have to believe it in order for it to have any effect in your life. How do I put faith in the fact that I'm a new person? You've got to understand what faith is. Faith cannot be manufactured. It can't be conjured up. You can't, faith! That's not how it works. Faith is a response. It's birthed in the heart when you hear God and you know what the will of God is for your life. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes when I hear God, and my capacity to hear comes from this book. The more I'm in this, the more I can hear the voice of God. But it's when I hear the voice of God on the inside of me, that's when faith is actually born, and that's when the breakthroughs come. In order to see myself as a new person, I can't do this for you. I can't, I can't force you to have a revelation. I can do everything. I, I, can, I can prophesy over you. I can teach you. But what you've got to learn to do is hear the Holy Spirit on the inside of you confirming the truth of who you are. Because that's what builds faith. That's what births faith. And faith is what brings the breakthrough. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, well, how do I do that? <laughs> how do I hear? We're trying to get to the root of the deal. How do I change the picture on the inside of myself by hearing what the Father has to say about me? What I would encourage you to do is learn to meditate on this until you, until you hear God saying it to you. Yeah. What, how do you do that? Well, like go to 2 Corinthians 5. couple of you are listening to me. Turn the page <laughs> to 2 Corinthians 5. What you, what you might need to do is, is sit in a chair with this book and stare at like one verse of Scripture. I sat, I sat in a chair for an hour, more probably longer than that, staring at Romans 8 verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And I'm praying, God, make this thing real to me. What does this mean? Help me, to hear, help me to hear you saying this. Help me to understand it. So anyway, you can read 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. It's great to say amen. It's better to hear it on the inside of your heart and then say amen. You... You, you got to sit there and you got to pray, Jesus, what does this mean that I am righteous? Help me to see myself righteous. Help me to hear you saying, you've got to be able to hear, like, you, you, you want to sit there and, and you're not going to hear a big audible voice or something, but you want to sit there and be patient and and. Listen on the inside of your heart and hear God say to you, you are righteous, you are holy, you are loved. 
It's fine for me to say it, but you got to hear it internally. And it's not always like words. Sometimes it's just an impression. But once you begin to get, and that's, that's called revelation. It's when the, when the stuff jumps off the page and it becomes personal. Yeah. And once you get some of that revelation, it builds faith. And the scripture says, we having the same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. We believe and then we speak. So how do I change my identity? I hear what God has to say about me, and then I speak in agreement with that. That's really what we want to do. One of the first times I ever really did this, I don't think I understood the principles, but I was wandering through my house, and I'm praying. And I had this sense just on the inside of me. I didn't hear like words or something, but I was just praying and worshiping Jesus. And I just, I just had this sense that God was communicating to me that I was his beloved son and he was pleased with me. How many of you know that's in the Bible? How many of you know a lot of times that sounds like a cliche? When is it not a cliche? When you hear it in here. But here's the thing I did. I heard that, and then I prophesied it over myself, which just means I said it out loud. And I said, you're my beloved son. I'm talking to myself out loud in my, in my house. You might think that's weird, but it's not. It's what you should do. Talking to myself, and I said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When all those words came out of my mouth, I had to grab the wall. Because the love of God was touching me, and I was, I was crying. <laughs> because it was becoming real on the inside of me. And that's what changes you. It's those moments, you know, by yourself with the Lord where He's speaking to you. And then you can ask God specific questions about who you are and how He sees you. I pray, God, what do you, what do you like about me? What do you love about me? How do you, how do you view me? And then you want to, like I said, you want to confess out loud what God says about you. It's more powerful if you hear it internally first. Now, you can, you, like, like my friends Ashley and Carly Teredes, they've got this great confession card. Anybody got that? It's like, says all this stuff about who you are in Christ. So I'm all for you taking that thing and just saying it every morning. I think there's benefit to that. The danger is if, you, if, if you're doing that as a ritual, as some sort of incantation, and not doing it with the intent of trying to change how you see yourself. The power is not in the ritual. It's in the belief combined with the speaking. Sometimes people use confessions like some sort of, you know, if I just do this 10 times, I'll pull a lever and God will come out. That's not, that doesn't work. That's like mysticism. That's, well, not mysticism. It's like uh, spiritism. Mysticism's scriptural. But anyway, focus. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can do these confessions. Confessing the word of God is good. But I, if I had that card, I mean, I do have one. You know, I would, I would pick one of those things that, that spoke to what I was going through, and I would meditate on it 
until I heard God saying it over me, and then I'd say it. Because I think that's more powerful, personally. That's some practical advice. Prophetic words, prophetic ministry helps in this area too. If you can get somebody that can hear God and speak over you, um, that's really good. Teaching can help. I'm telling you the truth about who you are. But again, the real breakthrough comes when you hear the Holy Spirit confirming it internally. Last point should be point six. First John 2 says, I write unto you that you sin not, that you don't screw up. But if you do screw up, Guess what? You've got an advocate with the Father. So life's a process. Your pastor's in process. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm you know, do things wrong. And so what do you do about all that? Well, the, the first thing you don't do is you don't bury yourself in shame and condemnation and run away from God. You'll never grow up that way. That's why I hate legalism so much. Because legalism makes everybody stay a baby forever. And I don't want to pass it. I want to pass. I'm happy if you're a baby, but I want you to grow up. So, so we're all we're all growing. All right. What do you do if you screw up? You just run back to dad, and let him reaffirm your identity. That's what you do. He loves to do that. I was thinking about this. That you know we tend to be really hard on ourselves. There was this weird program that I watched. Years ago, it was about um, these people that are like uh, fortune tellers. And they were showing how that you can pretend to be a fortune teller by doing this specific script. And uh, it was like said a bunch of things, generic stuff about people. But everybody they said it to, they're like, you know me. This is so right. And, it, and one of the things on there was you're harder on yourself than you should be. And like literally everybody in the world agrees with that <laughs> statement. Oh, it's, that's true.